0: I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger, traveling through this world below. Lord, I swear there's no pain. I know there's no danger. That bright. to this podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And now, for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture passage This week is found in Proverbs 8, verses 22 through 36. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight rejoicing before him always Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is the inspired and holy word of God. Please be seated. So we're continuing with our series, Ancient Wisdom, Modern Times, and the book of Proverbs is where we are, and it's made up of three major sections. Chapters 1 through 9 are a series of longer poems, and They're exhortations from parental figures addressed to children, and they're designed to teach the young learner to pursue wisdom with all that is in him or her. Uh, The bulk of the book, from chapters 10 to 29, are collections of one or two line sayings, and these are for the learner to ponder, to think deeply about. They're random topics, and they're not necessarily connected to one another. So we'll be going through those topically in future sermons. And then the last two chapters returns back to this longer format teaching style with the words of Agur and the words of King Lemuel and the beautiful tribute to the wise woman of virtue. But today we're going to continue with the poem that we began last week in chapter 8 and verse 1. Last week we heard from Lady Wisdom about the superiority of her riches over all that the world has to offer. She, what she has to offer is far above the value of gold or silver or anything else the world has. We saw that digging for her gold yields three gifts, righteousness, justice, and enduring wealth. Verse 22, the poem takes a dramatic turn. We just read that. Where wisdom begins to speak of herself as what I'm calling God's muse. She was with him in the creation of the world. So what's a muse? In Greek mythology, the nine muses were the daughters of Zeus and Mnemosyne. And they were the goddesses of the arts. They inspired men and women to create song and dance and acting and poetry, other creative pursuits. And the word became the basis for our English words, amusing, or music, or museum. And then there's a verb, to muse, which means to think about something thoroughly. All of these terms have to do with our imaginative faculties. Later in Western history, the term muse came to be used for a person, usually a beautiful woman, who inspires great artists. I've been watching this historical series, The Medici, and in it, the famous medieval painter Botticelli is painting his muse. She's a young, beautiful, and married Florentine woman named Simonetta Vespucci. And Botticelli loved her from afar. It's believed that she was the inspiration for his birth of Venus. And we've all seen it. some call it Venus on the Half Shell. I don't know if you've heard it called that, <laughs> because she's riding a shell on the ocean. I'm not going to show you the whole thing. Here's her pretty face. <laughs> then there's the, the, the great 17th century Dutch painter Rembrandt. His muse was his wife, Saskia, and he painted her numerous times as all kinds of different characters. Here are the two of them as the prodigal son and a loose woman. And in the realm of music, and just a little bit more modern, there was Patti Boyd. She was the wife of Beatle George Harrison, and the inspiration of his song, Something. Something in the way she moves, attracts me like no other lover. But then she left George for one of his best friends, Eric Clapton. And she is the real Layla. Also, uh, she was the inspiration for others of his songs like Wonderful Tonight and uh, Bell Bottom Blues So all of these muses and many more over the centuries have inspired many great creations But in today's passage, wisdom is portrayed as a woman who was with God before, during, and after the creation of the world God consults wisdom before he begins the creation. She's with him during the creation, and she's his spokesperson after the creation. The biblical creation story is unique among all the ancient creation stories. The biblical story is one of purpose and beauty and harmony. It is the creation of a world in which mankind is the central focus. Well, God's the central focus, but he focuses his creation on man. All other creation myths are fraught with trouble. In Greek history, the original sky god Uranus and his wife, the earth goddess Gaia, produced the first generation of gods. And then Uranus is castrated by his son. That's, that's not a good start. <laughs> His son was named Cronos, And then Kronos takes over, and his son was Zeus. And then Zeus fights his dad. He conquers him and exiles him to hell. And Zeus becomes the king of the gods. And the whole story is one of violence and treachery from the beginning. The Japanese, their story focuses exclusive, exclusively on their own islands, which sprang up as a result of pure accident from mud dripping off the tip of a spear of a god. And then the the North American tribe of the Iroquois Indians, the animals play the central role in creation. Mankind appears as an afterthought. And this one I just love, the Demiurge. The ancient Gnostics, they saw the physical world as the corrupt creation of an evil and ignorant god. They called the Demiurge. But the biblical account has none of these features. Here in the second half of chapter 8 of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom is continuing to call the simple and the fools to herself. She's doing her best to convince everyone to follow her. And in this political season, she reminded me of a politician attempting to get votes. Not by false promises, not by false credentials, but by actually proclaiming the truth. The first half of the poem we saw last week, she laid out her campaign promises, all the good things that we can have if we follow her. In this section, she is making the case for her character and her experience. She has some impressive credentials. You know, Joe Biden can say that he was with President Obama, but that's nothing compared to the name that this lady drops. Yahweh. <clears throat> so, she was with him before the universe was created. Several times in verses 22-26, through 26, wisdom hammers home the point that she was there before anything ever happened. Look at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. So we have a companion piece to the creation story in Genesis here. And like in Genesis, it begins with God, and wisdom is with him. It goes on in verse 23. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. So this is before Genesis 1-2 where it says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There were no waters. There was no face of the deep. Before anything was made, wisdom was there. Look at verse 25. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, says in both verses 24 and 25 that wisdom was brought forth. Several translations say that wisdom was born. Uh, The Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uses the word for giving birth to a child there. So, does that mean that wisdom is a created being? The uh, ancient Gnostics said that this is just a personification of Jesus, who is a created lesser God? Or is wisdom like a lesser God, a goddess, like Sophia, the goddess? Well, no, that's not what the Scripture teaches. Remember, this is poetry. And wisdom is not a person, but a personification of an ideal. It's a poetic device that God is using to get this point across. Wisdom is no more a person than Lady Liberty in New York Harbor or Lady Justice with her blindfold and scales in front of a courthouse. They're all just representative of ideas. So what does it mean that God brought her forth then before the creation? It means that he consulted his own wisdom as he began his creation. It means that his creation was intentional and well thought out. Remember the definition for the verb to muse. To think about something thoroughly. To consider something deeply and carefully. But God doesn't need anything outside of himself in order to create. He is his own muse. He encompasses all creativity and all beauty. And all other beings and Things created are just reflections of His glory. So, <clears throat> what does this mean for you and for me? Well, Proverbs 4.7 in the New English translation says, Wisdom is supreme. New King James Version says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Both of those mean first. It concludes with, Therefore get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. So wisdom is the supreme thing, the principal thing, the first thing. And if God consulted His wisdom before He made the world, then should not you and I seek wisdom in everything we do before we do it? We're not animals. We don't live merely according to instinct. People have to be instructed in the right way that's true of children, but it doesn't stop there. We all need God's wisdom as we begin making life's choices. So wisdom was with God before the creation, and she was with him during the creation as well. Here the verses suddenly shift to the actual time of the creation. Verse 27, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. So now, instead of chaotic, violent, accidental beginnings, we see a structured, well-ordered creation, guided by God's wisdom. And by the way, the Bible does not teach that the earth is flat. Uh, says here that he drew a circle on the face of the deep. And it says in Isaiah 40, 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. So he established the heavens and he hung the earth in it. The movements of the earth... And the solar system and the galaxies are all perfectly ordered. The tidal actions of the oceans, according to the gravitational pull of the moon, is precise. And the continents are placed exactly where he wants them. Last week we saw in Proverbs 8.15 that it said, By me, wisdom, kings reign and rulers decree what is right. So look at verses 27 and 29 again. The words drew and marked out are the same Hebrew words as decree back in 8.15. And remember, this is one big poem. Just as wisdom guides kings and rulers to, in order to, so that they can order society, God's wisdom guides him as he orders the physical creation. And the creation was accomplished with great joy an intense emotion. It made me think of the stereotype of the artist who's extremely caught up in his work to the point of mania. You know, you heard of Michelangelo. When he was um, working on the statue of David, it's reported that he rarely slept or ate and that he never took off his boots until they actually fell off his feet. (laughs) Of course, God's creativity is never insane. It's full of of intense enjoyment, though, intense joy over his creation. Look at verses 30 and 31. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Rejoicing and delighting. There's mutual joy between wisdom and God here. She was with him daily. That's possibly an allusion to the six days of creation. There was delight and rejoicing throughout the project. And we can be sure that all the members of the Trinity were experiencing joy with one another. All three had a part in this project. The Father said, let there be light. The Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And of the Son, it says in Colossians, that all things in heaven and earth were created through him, Jesus. So there is a spirit of camaraderie and love and mutual participation among the members of the Trinity here. And notice that it didn't end with the creation of the planet. It was only complete until God populated the creation with created beings, culminating in the first couple. So we find the same emotion there, too. Rejoicing in the inhabited world and delight in the children of men, literally the sons of Adam. That word delight means to take joy in something or someone. God takes delight in both his physical creation and in its inhabitants, especially in the people that he created in his own image. And in a moment, we're going to see that we can also enter in to that same delight. Humanity is the crown of God's creation. He gave us dominion over this world. We're not an accident. We have purpose and great value in the eyes of God. It's not, as the famous atheist Bertrand Russell claimed, that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end that they were achieving, That his origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves, his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. What a bleak and hopeless worldview that is. He claims that there's no prevision, that means no plan. And we're just atoms accidentally coming together in patterns that give an illusion of meaning. Everything that makes us human, our hopes and beliefs and loves, all meaningless. But Lady Wisdom is here to assure us that that is not the case. That meaning is built in to the universe from the very beginning. She knows because she was there. And that meaning continues after the creation. This is the thrust of her plea to us. She ends just as she began in verse 1 of chapter 8 with an urgent call. This is the culmination of her campaign. She's outlined all the benefits of us choosing her. And she presented the highest of credentials, being with God before and during the creation. Now she's ready to make her final pitch for our vote. Verses 32... 34. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my door. So she's making a parental plea, and parents want the best for their children. It says that if you want to be wise, listen. If you want to be blessed. In other words, be happy, then listen. If you want to enter into the delight that God offers his creation, you must watch and wait for wisdom where she dwells. So, where do we go to hear her instruction? Where are these gates and doors that we can find his delight? We have to enter in through the word of God. That word delight that we saw in verses 30 and 31 is very rare in the Old Testament. It's only nine times in the Old Testament. And most often, it's found in David's massive tribute to the law of God in Psalm 119. So David saw the law not as just rules laid down in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but it was the complete self-revelation of God in the Bible the whole Bible at the time. Listen to the depths of his delight in Psalm 119. Verse 24 says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. 77, Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. 92, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. 143, Trouble and anguish have found me out. But your commandments are my delight. And then 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Why does David find such great delight in the Bible? It's because in it he finds counsel. The answers to life's greatest questions. He finds mercy. He sees his need as a sinner to be saved. And then he sees God's provision for that salvation. These are all matters of life and death. So this epic poem ends with this in verses 35 and 36. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. None of us have the wisdom within us to please God. It doesn't come from within. Yahweh asked Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Job couldn't answer that. And neither can you or I. But Lady Wisdom can. She was there before, during, and now after the creation. And she offers us the understanding that Job and the rest of us lack. And this understanding leads us to a restored relationship with our Maker and to life. And life is in a person. When we find wisdom, we find Jesus Christ. John put it this way in his first letter, First John five eleven and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, in all your searching for the meaning of life, please don't fail to find Him. He's the author of life. Human muses have inspired some great art, but human muses are flawed. They can lose their beauty and charm, Uh, they can die, and they can betray. Botticelli's Simonetta died at age 22. Rembrandt Saskia passed away when she was 29. And Patti Boyd, she divorced both Harrison and Clapton, gave up being a rock and roll muse, and and married a real estate developer. (laughs) But God's muse is his own internal creative power, his inherent wisdom. Lady wisdom will never fade. She'll never die, and she'll never be corrupted. You and I have access to that same wisdom. What God desires for us is to look to Lady wisdom as our muse, as we paint our lives on the canvas of this world. She's calling us. And if we fail to find her, that's on us. Will you commit with me to seek her daily? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there are riches in this book, Lord, that we can tap into. Lord, that we might know the fullness of life that you offer. So, Father, help us to seek you daily, Lord, that we might know you through your word and that we might encourage one another to walk with you in joy and delight. So we give you all the praise and all the honor in the name above every name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green support Us" button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.